You're listening to a podcast from Catalyst Vineyard Church, Aberdeen. You can find out more about our church, as well as more talks on our website, catalyst.fin. Hi guys, great to be here with you this morning. Um, I wondered if you could remember a time in your life when you've been under pressure. Now, it could be something, um, a big moment or just something kind of small and trivial. Um, But how did you respond to that pressure? What was going through your mind? I remember um, when I was younger, I was um, in Subway. I was a young man, innocent and, you know, full of aspirations. But I was very inexperienced in terms of uh, ordering at Subway. So I was waiting in the queue. And when I finally got to the front, the lady asked me the first question. Now, I don't know if you know, they have these glass screens and the woman was really short. So I basically couldn't hear a word she was saying behind the screen. And so I just asked her to repeat herself and she did. And still nothing, like could not understand the word. So at this point, you've all been there. You know, everyone knows you've got three attempts in a conversation to ask someone what they're saying. And then you've got to understand them. It's your moral duty to understand them after that. So I was like... I've got one more go at this, and if not, we're in trouble here. So I ask again, and nothing. I'm just not getting anything. So my mind is racing. I'm thinking to myself desperately, come on, Johnny, you've been to Subway before. What are the questions they ask you? Um, ah, and suddenly it comes to me, the bread question. They ask you the bread question. So unfortunately, instead of you know answering that question, panicking I just shouted the word bread and you know for everyone in the store for me for her it was just incredibly awkward I was dying inside thinking oh you idiot what have you done Um, and obviously under that um, pressure I did not cope very well (laughs) we're going to be continuing on in our series through the book of Acts this morning and we're going to be in Acts 12 where Peter and the early church are under some real pressure, um, a little bit more than struggling to order a sandwich. But we're going to think about um, how they and how Peter responds to that. Um, Yeah. So, (laughs) can I have a Bible? Hmm? Can I have a Bible, please? Can you have a Bible, yeah? I have forgotten to bring a Bible with me. Rule number one of reading from the Bible is you need a Bible. It's going well, guys. We're all professionals here. Thank you very much. Bear with me while I swiftly flick through. Acts 12. Here we go. Verse (laughs) 1. It was about that time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, And sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. 
quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison. But he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought that he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and when they went through it, they had... uh, when, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant girl named Rhoda came and answered the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the brothers about this he said, and then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. So you can picture the scene here. John has been arrested and he's been martyred. He's been killed for his his faith. Peter's been arrested Um, He's in prison. He's got four squads of four guards. They're watching him day and night. Um, He's handcuffed to a different guard on each arm. And in the morning, he's going to be put on trial and almost certainly executed. Now, it's not exactly a recipe for a relaxing evening or a good night's sleep. But here in the midst of this, in the prison, we find that Peter is sleeping. How is he so calm? You know, what enables him to have such peace under so much pressure. So I've been thinking about this um, question as I've been preparing for this, and there's three things that, you know, I think help Peter to be at peace in this situation. I think to understand this, we kind of need to look at Peter's um, whole journey, his whole walk with Jesus. And so we're going to be jumping around a little bit, and um, then we're going to come back to the passage before we finish off. So the first thing that I think um, helps Peter to be at peace in the prison is that his perspective has been shaped by Jesus' promises. So at this point, Peter um, has been with Jesus for his whole ministry. He's seen Jesus doing um, loads of miracles. He was there when Jesus ascended into heaven. He has walked on water with Jesus and, you know, maybe remembers that when he took his eyes off Jesus was when he began to sink. But he also... Um, was there when Jesus made a number of promises. So, for example, in Acts chapter 1, just before Jesus ascends into heaven, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Since that time, Peter's seen the Holy Spirit come at Pentecost. You know, he's seen thousands of people coming to faith in Jerusalem. As those people are persecuted, he's seen them go into Judea and Samaria and spread the gospel there. And he himself has prayed for 
um, believers in Samaria to receive the Holy Spirit. He's also seen um, the Holy Spirit poured out on non-Jewish people in the house of Cornelius. And um, we're told the passage here starts um, at around that time. And it's kind of referring to Acts 11, where you've got the planting and the growth of the church in Antioch, um, another major city out of Israel at that time. So, you know, Peter has seen the fulfillment of that promise Jesus made. Jesus also says in John 14, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Again, like looking back at Peter's story, he has seen this fulfilled. The miracles even that um, Peter does in the power of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 9 when he heals Aeneas and raises Tabitha or Dorcas um, back to life, are almost an exact replica of um, some of the miracles of Jesus when he heals the paralyzed man or um, raises Jairus' daughter back to life. Peter even uses really similar um, language in, in those miracles, saying to the paralyzed man, roll up your mat, and saying to Tabitha, get up. So, You know, Jesus has a track record of coming through on his promises. And every time Peter has trusted in him, um, he's never let him down. So when Peter looks back on promises that Jesus made that haven't yet been fulfilled, he looks um, at them with confidence that they will be. Jesus says, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. So, you know, Peter is confident in this place that Jesus has prepared for him. His mind isn't just on uh, the here and now of the prison in that moment, but he has um, an eternal perspective. He's able to take a step back and look at the bigger picture. When I um, finished school, I um, went on a gap year to India. Um, And it was one of the best years of my life. But to get there, I had to save up quite a lot of money. So I decided it would be a good idea to get a job for the first time. And so I worked in a hotel um, cleaning rooms. And to be honest, it was horrible. Um, Partly because it was my first, like, big boy job, I guess. You know, I'd never worked full-time before, so it was quite tough. Um, Partly because the conditions for staff in that particular place weren't amazing, and partly just because, like, people are gross. Like, the sort of things you would walk into in rooms or in, like, things people would leave in bathrooms as well. Like, you just think no other human being should have to be involved in this process at all. So, not great. Um, Every day I'd come home and I'd say, Oh, mum, I can't go back tomorrow. Like, it's the worst. I'm going to quit. I'm not going in tomorrow. And I'd just fall asleep on the couch and wake up, have dinner, and then go to bed. But every morning, without fail, with a bit of time to get some perspective, I would get up and I would go and do it again. And I think what enabled me to do that was being able to look forward to the promise of the gap year, you know, I could see that what I was doing had a purpose and there was a plan and a, um, a reward at the end of it, a light at the end of the tunnel, almost. And um, I think, actually, it's kind of similar here for Peter. You know, Peter knows that 
though, although he's here in the prison, in the cell, um, whatever pressure he's under, whatever pain is coming, it's temporary. He knows where he's going. He knows the promise that's waiting for him. He knows who is going to be waiting for him there. And it's in that um, future place that he puts his hope and he stores up his treasure. That's where his mind is. It's where his heart is. His perspective is in the promise. But Peter, I think, would also remember um, Jesus saying, or, or another promise of Jesus, where he says, whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. And this kind of leads us on to the next point I wanted to make, which is that um, Jesus actually promises it will be difficult. There are things that we will have to give up or turn down if we want to see his kingdom come and if we want to experience his peace. Saying yes to Jesus is often saying no to something else. We have to pay the price. There's a cost to us being saved and being brought into a relationship with God. And that cost is something that we could never pay. That was paid by Jesus on the cross. Um, but when we are brought into a relationship with God, we're called to follow him, to pursue him, to um, live by his example. And when we do that, when we follow Jesus, we also encounter a cost. We also have to take up our cross and we also have to die. I don't mean that um, like we'll all have to die for our faith in the same way that John does in the passage here, but we all need to die to ourselves to our own pride or um, selfishness or our comfort even. Um, we need to stop living in service to ourselves and start living for God. Um, so again, if we look back at Peter's life, he's messed this up at times. On the night that Jesus was arrested, Peter who you know, had sworn earlier in the evening that he would never betray Jesus, he would die rather than betray Jesus. He disowns him. He denies him three times. And after this, in that moment when he realizes what he's done, we're told that he weeps bitterly. He's lost his peace. He is in turmoil. He knows what it feels like to deny Jesus to save himself. But, you know, we see that through his story, he learns how to deny himself to serve Jesus. And I think that one key part of this journey for Peter is his conversation with Jesus on the beach in John chapter 21. So um, at this point, Jesus has um, come back to life and he's meeting with his disciples. He meets them on the beach and he has a conversation with Peter where he, um, after Peter has denied him three times, he gives Peter three opportunities he says, Peter, do you love me three times? And he restores Peter in that moment. And then he commissions him to lead the church. But after that, he goes on. He says, very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And in case there's any doubt here about what Jesus means, um, John goes on to write, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. So after Peter 
has denied Jesus and Jesus has restored Peter, you know, he makes it clear how much it's going to cost. He makes it clear that it's going to cost Peter his life, that he's going to die with his, uh, for his faith. And then he calls him again, follow me. And in that moment on the beach, Peter chooses to die. John Wimber, who was the, the leader of the Vineyard Church when it started, told a story about when he um, first came across this kind of principle of Christian sacrifice or dying to yourself. And it's, um, he was studying um, one of Jesus' parables in a Bible study, which says, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. John was a musician at the time, and um, after kind of chatting through the meaning of the passage with the people around him and with the pastor, he used the classic old, like, I'm asking for a friend tactic. And he said, well, I know a guy who's a musician. He doesn't know how to do anything but play music. He can't even tie his own shoelaces. Are you saying that he might have to give up his career in music to become a Christian? How else could he make a living? And the pastor, kind of seeing through the, the um, for a friend thing, said, your friend will have to work that one out for himself. Um, but in my opinion, he has to be ready to give that up because it is a possibility. John did end up um, giving up his career and led the vineyard. I think in that moment, he, like Peter, counted the cost and he resolved to pay it. I think that one reason that Peter is at peace in the prison is because he paid the price on the beach. He'd already made his choice. So when the persecution and the moment of pressure came, he was at peace with his decision. And he knew that just like the parable of the pearl, ultimately the reward was worth the cost. So coming back to the passage then, the third thing that I think enables Peter to be at peace under so much pressure is praying the prayer. We see in verse 5, it says, So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The enemy here has the prison and the guards and the chains, but the church has prayer. I was wondering this week, actually, and as I was preparing for this, what specifically the church would have been praying for Peter. I assume, obviously, they would be praying for him to be released, but, you know, when he comes to the door, it doesn't really seem like they're expecting him. Maybe they were praying that he would be found innocent in the morning. Maybe that seemed like a, um, an easier prayer for God to answer. But I wondered if, on top of that, maybe they prayed in a similar way to the, the way they pray in Acts chapter 4 in response to a similar situation where Peter and John are arrested but are then released. As part of that prayer, they say, Now, Lord, consider their threats, talking about the Pharisees, um, and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So they ask for signs and wonders, but their focus in the prayer really is boldness. Um, it's confidence to overcome fear, to carry out their calling, even in the presence of obstacles and persecution and under pressure. I think there's a realisation for them and for Peter as well that um, to do that and to be at peace under that kind of pressure, they actually need to be filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. 
I think actually, you know, for us to do any of the things we've talked about this morning, for us to, you know, um, have our perspective on the promise, to keep our eyes on the promises of God, for us to count the cost and die to ourselves, I think we need the Holy Spirit. We need to be empowered. These are not things that we can do well in our own strength. I know for me, like, even as I've been, like, preparing to speak and kind of journeying through that, there have been moments where I have not been at peace. And the irony of the um, peace under pressure has not been lost on me. I feel like I've been talking to myself more than anyone almost. Um, And I've had to pray for the power of the Holy Spirit and the peace of the Holy Spirit. And I've had to try and lay down all the little insecurities and fears and... um, yeah, just the things that get in the way of what um, we're called to do. And so as we kind of come to a close this morning, I wondered actually if um, we could just make space to do that a little bit together. So in a moment, we're going to just wait for a minute. Um, but in that time, I would love if we could focus on the promises that God has made to us. Whether that's something general, you know, God promises us eternal life. Um, we promise that he'll never leave or forsake us. We promise that his grace is sufficient and that our sins are forgiven. But maybe it's something personal. Maybe it's a, a word or a passage of scripture or something someone's prayed over you that has become like a promise of God in your life. So as we wait, maybe let's reflect on those things. Let's fix our gaze back on the promises that God has made to us. As we do that as well, let's kind of count the cost a little bit. Let's take a moment to die to some of the things that might be holding us back, the things that we haven't surrendered to Jesus, the things that we hold on to too tightly. Maybe it's pride, maybe it's um, insecurities, you know, maybe it's fear, maybe it's comfort. Maybe it's lies, actually. Maybe there are lies that you believe about yourself that we need to give to Jesus this morning. And as we do that, um, let's recognize that we, we just need to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and be filled with boldness and peace. And so I'm going to pray and then um, we're just going to wait for a minute. Come Holy Spirit. Lord, we know that we need your power and your presence to experience your peace. And we pray that wherever we are this morning and wherever we're watching from, we just open ourselves up and we invite your Holy Spirit. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and fill us. To remind us of your promises to highlight things that maybe we haven't fully given over to you or haven't, um, aren't willing to give up. And we pray that you'd fill us with boldness so that we can carry out the things that you've called us to, even under pressure and even when it's stressful and difficult and when we're tired. So we wait for you now.